0: Well, before we get stuck into our word this morning, let's uh, bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, we give thanks after singing so many songs about your love. Lord, that we can then come before your word. Lord, ready to hear even more. Even after talking about how Lord, through history, you have loved your people in ongoing, enduring, boundless ways. Lord, we continue to discover more. And yet, Father, we pray that you would open our ears and our hearts this morning to this word. Let it be something that sinks in deeply. And Father, that... Uh, we might rejoice as we hear it this morning, but rejoice as we share it with one another after the service as well. Father, I pray that you would give me your words, that you would continue to give me your heart, and help me to hear this word as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's start off by just being quickly reminded about the context of this passage in Philippians, of where Paul is as he is writing this message or this letter. Paul is in prison. He's in an unknown location. At least there are a number of theories, but it's, it's not certain. And from the letter so far, we know that while in prison, Paul is in fact being harassed in a way being harassed by other preachers of the gospel. Despite preaching a good gospel, Paul says that these men that are speaking on the outside are preaching out of hearts filled with envy and rivalry, selfish ambition and insincerity. They are preaching not to honour Christ, but to afflict Paul. Jealous of his perceived fame. And yet despite this attack, despite this affliction, Paul's response is unusual. It's joy. Despite this attack, he says, I rejoice. Not because the affliction has stopped or that justice has been had and these men have also been apprehended and are sitting in prison with him. Nothing has, in fact, changed Changed at all. I rejoice because whether, as we heard this morning, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is being proclaimed. In that, I rejoice, Paul says. And it's not hard to see from last week's message when Ray spoke the transformation that Christ has had upon Paul's heart the effects that he has had it doesn't matter what happens to him now it doesn't matter the afflictions that are being pressed upon him his joy is no longer in his circumstances it's in jesus what god is this that would so transform a person's heart that his own circumstances wouldn't matter anymore well as last week we saw Paul rejoicing in the affliction uh, being put on him by other preachers, this week we find him continuing to rejoice. It hasn't come to an end. And he's rejoicing now in the uncertainty of his future. Now we've all felt uncertainty about our future from one time to another. Perhaps even now. Uncertainty about uncertainty about the life that lays ahead, the days that are to come. It's true that none of us really knows what tomorrow holds, do we? There are times when, in fact, the future is very exciting. You Think about getting to the end of high school, all of life laying ahead of you, end of uni or college, not knowing the days to come. Retirement, I imagine, is very exciting. It's only 31 years away. (laughs) That's my whole life again. (laughs) How exciting is the future the day that you get married or the day that you find out that your wife is pregnant, that you're expecting a child? Those days are light. They're joyous. They're happy. And yet there are times when the future doesn't appear so bright or light, when in fact the unknowns of tomorrow are dark and heavy and difficult to bear. Times when, if we could, we would stop time where it is and not take another step forward to avoid the potential of sorrow and of grief and difficulty for ourselves and for the people around us. A sorrowful future. Well, Paul has an unknown future at this time. He didn't know what or when the end of his time in prison would be. And when that day did come, when the end of his time was had come, he didn't know whether he would be released and returned back into the ministry, able to share with the churches as he had been, or whether he would instead be executed. And if he was to be executed, he would be executed in a public way, in a way that would be shameful, where people would be able to see him die and say, what a shameful death for this man. What a shameful life he must have then led to have died in such a way. This Paul of Tarsus. So Paul is under the threat of a dark and heavy, unknown future. And so it is surprising that he says at the beginning of, or well, halfway through verse 18, I will continue to rejoice. Because uh, he's not seeking to freeze time due to his uncertainty. He's not worried about the shame that may come from his life or his death. He's not fearful of the possibilities that tomorrow might bring, even though they may contain death. In fact, he says the exact opposite. I will rejoice because this will turn out for my deliverance. Not deliverance from prison. He remains uncertain about that. Too many times in the next two chapters, Paul speaks about the possibilities of life or death taking place. And in fact, in chapter 2, verse 17, he says that his life may well be a drink poured out. No, he isn't rejoicing because he's being set free. Just as he did in the previous passage, without a single thing changing concerning his situation, he rejoices instead in being delivered from the uncertainty of tomorrow. Not the change of circumstance, but the threat that that uncertainty brings. being delivered from the shame, being delivered from the fear of tomorrow. He is no longer uncertain. He says instead, it is my eager expectation and hope. Let's say, I am certain. He's no longer worried about the threat of a life and death marked by shame. He says, I will not be ashamed. And he's no longer afraid, but instead says, I am of full courage. What is this? How can Paul possibly have such certainty, such fearlessness in these moments, despite not a single thing changing in his circumstance? He still sits in prison. Well, the church has been praying for him. We don't know exactly what they've been praying for. Perhaps they've been praying that he would be set free from prison or that he would have a long-suffering spirit while he sits there. Perhaps they've been praying for what exactly he has received, that, they, that he would be delivered from discouragement, from fear of an uncertain future of encouragement, of a life and death had for Christ. or well, whatever it is that they have prayed, the Spirit has heard and groaned on their behalf and on Paul's behalf. Jesus has heard and spoken to the Father on, this, on their behalf. and The Father has heard. He's heard their call, their prayer and has been moved by the coming together of the children of God and the Spirit to send the Spirit of Jesus Christ to be with Paul at this time. To help Paul, the passage says. And to help here means to supply him with everything that is needed, to bear fruit even in this moment to give sustenance to his faith like the roots and body of a tree does to its branches. And the gift of this sustenance, it changes everything for Paul in these moments. It changes everything for Paul and it changes everything for us in such situations. The gift itself was not a removal of uncertainty. It was not the removal of shame, nor was it the giving of courage. These are, in fact, the fruits of the real gift that has been given to Paul in this moment. Not his deliverance. The encouragement is something else. The gift from God is something else to him. It is a certain knowledge and understanding that is deeply personal for Paul and for us. It is this, that for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. This is the gift that he's been given, this understanding and this knowledge. I need to hear it again. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. This is one of Paul's most memorable quotes, and if you've ever wondered what it is that you were going to get tattooed on your forearm, this is a distinct possibility. <laughs> this is one of those passages that we need to read again and again and again and again, isn't it? Because it is so personal, and we, but it's so easy to move over the top of. It changes everything. For me to live is Christ. For me to die is gain. My life, my death, bodily life and death, Paul says. Nothing figurative here. And he says it numerous times. It is Christ's. It is his. This small verse changes everything for Paul in these moments. It's what bears those fruits that strip away the fear, that take away the shame, that give him full courage. For now, as always, Christ will be honoured in my body, whether by life or by death. No matter what Paul's future looks like, he is Christ's. And Christ is his, and his life and his death will bring honour to him. No matter what. A life that despite sin and a very active career in persecuting Christians will now glorify Jesus, no matter what it looks like from these days forward. A death that despite his powerlessness in this moment, despite his imprisonment and the method of execution that will be brought upon him, will glorify Jesus. For his life is Christ's. What a gift Jesus has given Paul. What a gift he has given us in our own uncertainty that we have glorious purpose in life when we have him. It sets us free in every, and I mean every situation that we could possibly think of. Free to rejoice. And if you're at all uncertain as to the transformation that this spirit given awareness has had on Paul, we have only to read on a little further. Look at how Paul speaks of life and death now with this understanding. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ For that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Now, only a moment ago, we spoke about the dread that can come upon us when our future is uncertain, when our days are unknown, of the risk of shame falling upon us. Where has that gone for Paul? I can understand his desire for life, to keep on with his ministry for the days to come, but death by execution? He sees it in such a different light that he now longs for it. Listen to the very real tension in his writing. I am hard pressed between the two or as the NIV helpfully puts it, what shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two options. Death, where is your sting? Paul looks forward to it because it means that he will be united to Christ. He looks forward to it to the point where it says it's even better than life. Now, I've often been found to say how much I look forward to dying, particularly before preaching. (laughs) Paul is also eager for it, but for better reasons. (laughs) He's not eager because he wants to avoid the weight of responsibility nor enjoy the wonders of heaven. Nor even to escape sin and the effect of it upon his life and upon the world. But because he says, I desire to depart to be with Christ. That is the great reward. He is the great treasure. The one who loves Paul so deeply that he gave his own life for him, the one who has come to be with him in spirit. doesn't just say that the spirit came, it says the spirit of Christ came to him in these moments, to be with him while he is in prison, to comfort him while he sits there, not knowing what tomorrow holds. The one who has come to encourage him, and sustain him with the sure knowledge that to live is to be with him, to be for him, and to die will be even better. It is the love of Jesus that spurs Paul to live on or die on in following Jesus, to be like him in every way that he can with the days that he has left to have the same heart as Jesus, the same desire, the same passion. And we see this in two different ways in the rest of this passage. The first, that Paul, even being torn between the desire to live or the desire to die, chooses life, even if he has no necessary say in it. And the second is that he encourages the church of Philippi to be just like him in his pursuit of Christ, to pursue Christ, to be imitators of Jesus. Now I say that Paul chooses life as a way of imitating Christ because like Jesus and following his word, Paul seeks to love others more than himself. You will remember Jesus' words to the Pharisees when he's asked What is the greatest commandment? And Jesus responds with, love the Lord your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. That is the greatest, the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, to love your neighbour as yourself. And doesn't Jesus fulfil that law perfectly? By obeying the Father and coming to the world and giving himself In love, not for saints, but for sinners. To death on the cross for the sake of their faith, for the sake of them being able to live. Well, this is what it meant for Christ to live and Christ to die. And what does it mean for Paul to live is Christ and to die is gain? but to do exactly the same. So he, rather than resigning, or should I say giving himself to his greatest desire in death and being united to Christ, chooses life so that he might prosper the faith of other people, that he might grow them. It is more necessary for you that I remain in the body Convicted of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith so that through my being with you again, your boast in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Paul lives as Christ lived for the sake of the joy and the faith of other people that we might all boast in Christ. And he encourages the church of Philippi and us to do the same, to live a life that is worthy of the gospel, to live as Paul is living in pursuit of how Jesus lived, in honouring him. To live, he says, standing firm in the one spirit, to strive together as one for the faith of the gospel, to be without fear of those that oppose you. Isn't this an encouragement by Paul to rejoice as he is rejoicing in the very things that he has already been rejoicing in in this passage? For didn't he just rejoice in the deliverance that came through the Spirit because the church was praying in union with the Spirit to God? Didn't he just rejoice in the fear of death, the greatest opposition being taken away? Didn't he just rejoice in choosing life for the love of God and the fellowship of the saints so that they would grow together as one in faith in the gospel. Paul's inviting the church to see Jesus and delight in him right here and now in the body as he is. And we can do it just as Paul does, not with gritted teeth determination to just be better Christians. But in the same wonderful way in which Paul has while he has sat there in prison, with that sure and certain understanding that we have in reading this piece of scripture, with those words that have motivated Paul, that for us to live is Christ and to die is gain certainty of a life or a death. For you and I lived to glorify the one who sustains us every day. No risk of shame in his eyes. No fear of what lays ahead. Just certainty that we will honour him. And we will one day be united with him. And that, as Paul says will be even better than this life. Now, that's not to say that life will be without its struggles. Paul, despite choosing life, doesn't know what's going to happen to him tomorrow. There's still uncertainty. He still remains in prison. He is even in this, though, imitating Christ. Following his footsteps... Suffering for him. And we will too in our own unique ways, for we have been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. And in this way, bring honour to him with our lives. Not in shame or fear, but in certainty, and with full courage that he will be honoured. For to us to live is Christ and to die is gain. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I think about the lives that we would have had without you. Even from this brief description of Paul. Lives afraid of tomorrow. Unsure of our purpose. A reason to live. Fearful of whether we will achieve it. Or whether we'll be shamed. Shamed. And then comes Christ. How you come into our lives, Lord, and turn it all upside down. Where we should have once feared, we are full of courage. Where we should have once maybe been angry or frustrated, desired revenge, Lord, we now rejoice. where death should have had a sting. It is now something we desire. For us to live, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Lord God, thank you for these words. And we pray, Lord, we may not get them tattooed on our arms, but they are tattooed on our hearts. A tomorrow is yours, whether that brings life or death for us. And it will be a day of glory because you will have honour through our life or our death. Thank you for that certainty. Thank you for that joy. And we pray, Lord, in the times where we forget, where these things become dull. Lord, that even as we've heard this morning, that we might in our fellowship remind one another of the sure thing that we have in your Son, that our lives are yours. Thank you, you, Heavenly Father in your name. Amen.